So this morning we want to talk about this day that happened 2,000 years ago, this Palm Sunday day. Uh, we've been teaching from the book of Matthew, but we're going to jump out of Matthew, we're going to jump over to Luke, just to change it up this morning because we're going to break from what we normally do. We're going to pick up the story at Luke, the 19th chapter, verse 29. This is Jesus coming with his disciples to the city of Jerusalem. We're getting ready to celebrate Holy Week this week. Um, celebrate uh, Good Friday on Friday, and then Easter next Sunday. And all these events happen this week. It starts with Jesus coming to Jerusalem. Now he knew what was coming. He had spoken his, to his disciples on many occasions, said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed, arrested, killed, and will raise again on the third day. Amazingly, his disciples never quite got what he was talking about. In all fairness to them, Jesus talked in parables so often, they didn't know what he was talking about half the time. So they didn't catch it. They come on their way now. He's coming to uh, be crucified, the Lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world. So we pick it up. Verse 29, as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, say the Lord needs it. Now, I spoke a couple of weeks ago about God moments, special God moments, where God shows up and does stuff, even some of the smallest things that really aren't all that significant, but it's stunning to you. It just reminds you that God is caring about you. And I encourage you, look for those kind of God moments in your life. They're very encouraging. And uh, Jesus was pretty hard on his disciples, as we've read in Matthew. But then he would surround them with these special little God moments that were just neat Little things that just reminded him that he was truly God. And this is one of them. Nobody really knows about this except the guy's going. He says, go to such and such place and you're going to find this colt. And untie it and bring it to here. If anybody says anything, says the Lord needs it. So they go. And I think, really? So those who were sent ahead in verse 32 says, found it just as he had told them. He got to that place and sure enough, here is this colt. And as they were untying it, the owner said, hey, why are you untying the colt? They're basically stealing at this point. And they replied, as they were told, uh, the Lord needs it. And they said, okay. Now, how that was, I don't know. Had they had a dream or a vision that that would happen? But uh, they let it go without complaint. And these guys were, wow, it was so amazing. I mean, it wasn't that big a deal, but yet here it's exactly where he said it would be. And the people responded exactly as he predicted they would. So, they brought it to Jesus, they threw their cloaks on it, and they put Jesus on it. Now remember, this is an animal who has never been ridden. The normal response would be, it's rodeo time. Yeehaw! But amazingly, again, another God moment where there is no rodeo, and the animal just sits very quietly as Jesus sits upon this animal. And they start riding toward Jerusalem. As he went along... Luke reports that people spread their cloaks on the road. Other gospels report that's where they bring in the palms. And they're waving and laying them down as Jesus is going along. And they are celebrating the fact that Jesus is coming. When they came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices. Everybody say loud. loud. Yeah. You can't say loud, loud. You have to say loud. 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 There we go. All right. <laughs> Say loud, loud. All right. <laughs> they start praising God in loud voices 
for all the miracles they had seen. They were really jazzed. And they began to say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, there were some religious people, some Pharisees, who thought it was very inappropriate for them to be so loud. You can't be loud when you worship God. All right? And many of us know what that's like. Many of us have come out of churches where you don't say anything. As quiet as you possibly can. You know, it's like God is ticked off. Be quiet. You know, it's kind of like, remember when you were a kid and dad was really mad? He'd come into the house. <laughs> hoping you didn't tick off dad, you know. Well, I feel like you come to church that way. You just sit quietly so that God doesn't know they're there or something. I don't know what they're thinking. I know they call it reverence, but I think it's a little ridiculous and over the top. You know, they approach God like he's really mad and ticked off. I mean, you don't want it. If you're a father, one of the great things about being a dad is when you walk in the house and the kids yell, Daddy's home! Hallelujah! And they all come running. It's party time. You want kids that will celebrate your presence and come to you and ask you for things and stuff. You won't always give it to them, but you still want, to, you still want that because, you know, not everything they want is good for them. But think how depressed, how bad you would feel if your children approached you very quietly and knelt before you. Our daddy, we wouldst that thou wouldst give us a, a popsicle. Uh, we know that we are unworthy to receive the popsicle from thy hand, which thou hast provided many gifts to us in the past. But uh, we really would like a popsicle. Well, you would hate that. You know, don't talk to God that way. It's not going to be a big, this big, you know. We approach him as children and we celebrate him. And here they're coming and they're praising God and they're doing it in a loud voice. And the Pharisee said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to stop it. And Jesus replied, he says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Moral of the lesson is you can be replaced with a rock. <laughs> now let me encourage you. Part of the worship experience is come and raising your voice in expression to God is called praise and worship. Now I know many of you come because I watch you in the various campuses and I've seen you. Some of you really believe in miracles because you try to sing with your mouth shut. And while I'm all for miracles, seriously, and I, again, I know a lot of you are new to the church and new to this expression of worship. Okay, I will cut you some slack, but at some point, you got to sing. Don't stand there staring at the band. All right? You're supposed to be, so pay attention to what's going on. Open your mouth. Say, well, I can't sing very well. God doesn't care. I might care, but God doesn't care. <laughs> Open your mouth and sing. All right, that's why we do, we try to do these songs and they're kind of repetitive and they're simple songs and just trying to get you to sing along and open your mouth and praise God. Throughout the Bible, we see that there's great power when people begin to praise and celebrate God, opening their mouths, okay? Again, I know for some of you this is new, I get it, and you're uncomfortable, but at some point, you need to express, well, people think I'm crazy. Look, if you're here, they already think you're crazy. 
<laughs> Welcome to Celebration Church. <laughs> you have been marked. <laughs> Hell, there were the crazy people at that church. All right, so that ship has already sailed. You're nuts. So learn to express yourself to God. There's great power in praise. Throughout the Bible, we see incredible moments when people would start to celebrate and praise God, and God would show up in amazing ways. Because there's great power in praise, particularly when you don't feel like praising. It's easy to praise God and thank God when things go well. Even some of you guys who stand at the back with your hands stuffed in your pockets, not opening your mouth, I'll bet you if someone walks up and says, you have won $10 million in the lottery, suddenly you will begin to praise God. <laughs> praise God, hallelujah, that's awesome. Thank you, God. You know, well, okay, how about we get you to praise God without $10 million? All right, how about you start to learn to be thankful verbally to God uh, without all, even when your life stinks. You say, Pastor, my life just stinks, everything's awful. Yes, that's the time to sing and to praise God. Because when you praise God in the middle of rotten circumstances, it, I'm telling you guys, it gets God's attention. And God shows up in your life. Oh, God, why isn't God showing up in my life? Because you don't praise him when things stink. We're great at moaning, complaining, whining, belly aching, crying. We're fabulous at that. But praise God. Be grateful. Be thankful. Thank you, God. You come to church, you lift your voice, you sing God, even when everything around you looks like it's falling apart. When you do that, it gets God's attention. Always has. Dramatic stories in the Old Testament. How they would begin to praise God when things were going terribly wrong. And God would turn the circumstances around. One of the most dramatic ones, story of Jo... What is it? Not uh, Jehoshaphat. Here's a name for your kid. <laughs> Jehoshaphat, come here. Anyway, so Jehoshaphat is in charge of the nation. And these armies gather against Israel and they are determined to destroy them. And they freaked because they knew with this combined force, no way could they take them. No, and they got together and they cried out to God. And God said, don't worry. Celebrate me. I'll take care of it. So the next day they get ready to march for battle. And they do something a little bit unusual. They put the choir at the front of the army. Now, I'm not sure how the choir felt about that. <laughs> Personally, if we're going to war, I want to sing in the back. You know what I'm saying? Let the people with the guns go in front. I'll, I'll cheer you on. Go, boys, go. All right? Well, in this case, they put the choir right up front. And again, I don't know what they were thinking, but they were singing. And the Bible says they're marching along, and the choir begins to sing. And this rush of joy comes over the entire group of people. And they are singing praises to God as they're going to battle. It was a hopeless situation. They were, it was a suicide mission. They could not take on this great force that was before them. And the Bible says when they finally got there, what had happened is God had so responded in a miraculous way that he confused the armies and they started fighting each other. So when they got to the scene of the battle, everybody was already dead. That's my kind of battle. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if I'm going to battle, I hope everybody's dead before I get there. And it was an amazing thing, all because they, they got it. Celebrate God, praise God, be thankful to God, even when everything is awful. Again, it's easy to praise God when things are good. It's tough when it's not. The more you will learn to vocalize your thanks to God. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not exaggerating. I don't know you guys sitting staring at me like I dropped him from Mars. 
you're trying to get us to do something we don't want to do. I'm not trying to make you do something to make you miserable. I'm telling you, you want God to show up in your life? You come into this place, wherever you're at, when they sing, open your mouth and start to sing. At a minimum, try it for a few weeks. See what happens. You'll find your life will not suck nearly as much. The suck factor will go down. And God will start blessing you. Why? Because he wants you to praise him. He wants that interaction with you. And remember, if you don't, you can be replaced with a rock. (laughs) Now, that is the story of Palm Sunday. This great celebration. As when Jesus... And by the way, you're really not crazy when you praise God. I know it seems like it. Look, psychologists tell us it is normal if you have a strong stimulus to have a strong response. Okay? If, in fact, you win the lottery and you go, ah, you go crazy, that's normal. Great stimulus, great result. You just walk at the door, you just, ah! Okay? Now, if no one's at the door and you're going, ah! Now you're a little nuts. Because there's no response. There's no stimulus, okay? It's like if you're, you know, in, in, in Lambeau Field and the Packers are on the two-yard line and the go-ahead touchdown's coming and there's 10 seconds left to go on the clock and they score, you go crazy. You jump, you yell, you scream. Some of you have been known to do that in your living rooms. <laughs> and going crazy. Now, that's not crazy. That's normal. Great stimulus, great response is normal. Now, if you're in the stands screaming and yelling and you're the only people in the stands and there's nobody on the field, now you're crazy, all right? So strong stimulus response. One of the reasons you guys don't sing, you know, know, I think of that song, I sing because I'm happy, you know. Great song, his eyes on the sparrow. It's easy to do that when things are good. But when you start to think about God, you come to church and you start listening to the words. You're reading the words. You're trying to pay attention, not just spacing out. And if you start thinking about what God has done in your life, how he's blessed you, how he's protected you. Some of you know you shouldn't even be here today. You should have been long dead. It's a miracle you're here. How God intervened in your life. Some of the things he's done in your life. Start thinking about that. That's the stimulus part of it. If you'll start getting in your head in the right place, you'll find it'll be very easy to sing. So when you come to church, learn to worship God. But that's not the only part of the Palm Sunday account. You don't hear much about the second part. But we're going to take a look at it right now. Now, as Jesus approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. Now, weeping is a very demonstrative type. We're not talking about tearing up or slightly crying. When you're weeping, that's a big deal. And I'm sure it creeped out all the guys. I mean, nothing's more creepy than being with a bunch of guys and one guy starts to cry. I said, what are you doing, dude? You know, just, you know, I got something in my eye. I got something in my eye. You know, so, you know, that's just tearing up. But when you're just bawling your head out, that's creepy. And here they are, and this is a great celebratory moment. And he's coming into Jerusalem. See how it's bawling. That's creeping everybody out. And they overhear Jesus say this. Looking at the city of Jerusalem, he said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. What's he talking about? The fact that they are not going to get that he's the Messiah. It's just a matter of days before they will turn on him, 
have him killed like a common criminal and will miss it. And as a result of their actions, they are going to set into motion events that are going to bring great heartache on the nation. He says, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Now, what he's talking about, what is he talking about? He's God. He's looking now, and as he sees the city, he gets a flash into the future. Seventy years from this date, Roman armies will encircle Jerusalem, and they will destroy everything and everybody. This is known as the Roman assault on the city of Jerusalem. Uh, The only first-hand account that we have of this battle was written by the Jewish historian Josephus, who uh, actually at the time was a slave um, to the Romans. And he was there. He saw what happened, and he wrote it down. I want to read to you from his account of what he saw that day. We pick it up in the middle of his account. He says, the rebels, talking about the Jews who were fighting against the uh, Romans, shortly attacked the Romans again, and a clash followed between the guards of the sanctuary and the troops who were putting out the fire inside the inner court. The latter routed the Jews and followed in hot pursuit right up to the temple itself. Then one of the soldiers, without awaiting any orders and with no dread of so momentous a deed, but urged on, he writes, by some supernatural force, snatched a blazing piece of wood, climbed on another soldier's back, and hurled the flaming brand through a low golden window that gave access on the north side. So here this guy just, they write historically, it was an amazing thing what he did. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time this week with uh, Greg Stubbe and uh, we were watching some of the uh, military channels, shows that they're doing about his accounts and stuff and some of the bravery around it. It's amazing what people will do in battle. And this soldier, this Roman soldier, they saw him grab this flaming thing, you know, I assume it's burning his hand, jumps on a soldier's back to get high enough to get a shot, and just whips this thing. And it goes right through that little window. Uh, it says, uh, then, let's see, where is it? As the flames shot up, the Jews let out a shout of dismay. Remember, they're fighting for their temple. This is the Temple of Solomon, one of the most glorious edifices in the history of mankind. This was no small deal. It was decked out with gold on the inside. It was a beautiful facility. And they were fighting for the nation, fighting for the land, fighting for the temple. When the Jews saw the flames go up, uh, they cried out uh, in despair. They flocked to the rescue with no thought of sparing their own lives or saving their strength. For the sacred structure that they had constantly guarded with such devotion was vanishing before their very eyes. He writes, he says, no exhortation or threat could now restrain the impenetrable impetuosity of the legions of soldiers, the Romans, for passion was now in supreme command. Crowded together around the entrances, many were trampled down by their own companions. They were rushing towards them. Others stumbling on the smoldering and smoke-filled ruins of of the porticos died as miserably as the people they were defeating. As they drew closer to the temple, they pretended not to even hear Caesar's orders. See, Caesar was trying to stop them. Do not destroy this place. This is a world-class facility. One of the greatest things they could do is to maintain and take 
ownership of this amazing facility. Caesar screaming at them to stop, but they wouldn't stop. The men urged the guys in the front row to throw in more firebrands. The rebels were powerless to help. Carnage and flight spread throughout. Most of the slain were peaceful citizens, weak and unarmed. They were butchered or they were caught. Josephus writes that the heap of corpses mounted higher and higher about the altar. And a stream of blood flowed down the temple steps. Eventually the bodies of the slain on top slipped to the bottom. When Caesar failed to restrain the fury of his frenzied soldiers and the fire could not be checked, he entered the building himself with his generals. And he looked at the holy place of the sanctuary with all its furnishings, which exceeded by far the accounts that people have heard of this place and fully justified their splendid repute in our own country. But as the flames had not yet penetrated the inner sanctum, they were consuming the outer chambers. Titus assumed correctly that there was still time to save the structure. So he ran out, and by personal appeals, he endeavored to persuade his men to put out the fire, instructing Liberalius, a centurion of his bodyguard of lancers, to club any of the men who disobeyed his orders. But their respect for Caesar and their fear of the centurion's staff, who was trying to check them, were overpowered by their rage. They were, at this point, literally out of control, an utterly uncontrollable lust for battle. They pressed in. Someone continued to throw firebrands in and fire spread into the inner part and Caesar and his generals withdrew. No one was left to prevent those on the outside from kindling the blaze. So in defiance of Caesar's wishes, he writes, the temple was set on fire. When the temple was ablaze, the attackers plundered it and countless people who were caught by them were slaughtered. There was no pity for age, no regard or respect in accordance for rank, Children, old men, laymen, and priests alike were butchered. Every class of citizen pursued and crushed in the grip of war, where they cried out for mercy or offered resistance. The roar of the flames was stunning, but he writes the noise. The noise. Nothing was more deafening and frightening that could be imagined as they would cry out. The war cries of the legions the yells of the rebels encircled by fire and sword, the panic of people and their shrieks as they met their fate. He was mortified mostly not by what he saw, but by what he heard. The Temple Mount everywhere was enveloped in flames. It seemed to be boiling over from its base, yet the blood seemed more abundant than the flames and the numbers of the slain greater than those of the slayers. That is what Jesus saw on this day when he looked down in the city and he begins to weep uncontrollably because of the horrible carnage that would happen now the question is did God do this to the Jews for rejecting Jesus many theologians would make such a statement I don't think that's very likely particularly when you consider the fact that on the cross Jesus cried out father forgive them they don't know what they do so, no, more likely when Jesus was looking over the city and foresaw the destruction, it wasn't a matter of judgment, but rather the consequences of their actions, consequences that were put into action when they rejected the Christ. Indeed, even to this very day, many people suffer the consequences of their sins. Sexually transmitted diseases, AIDS, sickness, disease, divorce, heartbreak, imprisonment, addictions. And while there's always forgiveness... We cannot forget that consequences cannot be avoided. 
As we look at the world around us, it's difficult not to be greatly saddened, as Jesus was, by the inevitable consequences people will face because of their disobedience to God. And I, as your pastor, plead with you on a regular basis, live right. Obey what God says in your life. This isn't because God hates you. He tells you to avoid certain things, to do other things. The reason for obeying God is so that your life can be blessed. And should you disobey, there will always be forgiveness for you. But the consequences, the consequences often cannot be stopped. There's a lot of you listening to me right now. Here, Appleton, Stevens Point, people who listen to the show all across Wisconsin and around the world on the internet. Lots of people who will be hearing my words right now. And despite my appeals and the many appeals that we give, you will continue to do what you want to do. And you will face terrible consequences, great pain, sadness, tears, sickness, even death. All because you will not listen. You think there's something different. I know the Bible says that, but. I know I'm supposed to do that, but. I know I should support this, but. We all have our excuses and our reasonings for not doing it. And again, hear me. You can do the most horrible, imaginable thing today. God will forgive you. We as your church family will embrace you and try to help you. But make no mistake, there will be consequences for what you do. Oftentimes we think Jesus will just come and erase all the consequences. No, it doesn't work that way. If you're listening to me today and you ask Jesus into your life and you're in prison, he will forgive you, but you're still going to be in prison. Some of you know already, many people that attend this church, you've done a lot of destructive things in your life and you've suffered many consequences. And you're still suffering those consequences today. Make no mistake, that's not God doing that to you. God forgives you. And he will embrace you. But there still will be those consequences. I can't help but think that even on this day, as we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus to Jerusalem, that he still is crying. As he looks at people thinking, they're going to suffer so much. They don't need to go through it but they just won't listen. So this Palm Sunday, we have two messages. One, we read how we should boldly celebrate our faith and unashamedly lift our voices to God in praise. And secondly, we need to remember and pray for those who will suffer greatly as a result of fighting against God in their lives. And while we can and do offer many programs to ease the suffering of negative consequences due to bad decisions, and we do, we have some wonderful programs that will try to help you plow through those negative consequences. Make no mistake. You will reap what you sow. Let us make every effort to help people avoid making mistakes in the first place. It is far preferable to prevent people from breaking than to have to fix them after they fall. Indeed, despite my words, there will be many who will be hell-bent to do what they want to do in total disregard for what the Bible teaches. We love you. We'll be here for you. But our heart breaks for you. You're going to suffer a lot of pain. You don't need to suffer if you would just listen. It's why we have the programs that we have for your children. Trying to speak into their lives. Trying to get them to avoid making the decisions that could destroy their lives. That's why we encourage you as families and as parents to parent these children. 
raise them up in the right way, have the kind of home that they can be way ahead of everybody else in the world by not suffering the negative consequences of bad decisions. Again, God doesn't hate anybody. Despite our decisions, God will always be there for you. But make no mistake, consequences come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Lord, help us this morning to accept the challenge. Lord, as many people are still growing in their faith new to this, but help them learn to raise their voices in praise to God so that God can show up in a wonderful way and change the circumstances in their life. Help them to discover the power of praise. And Lord, we thank you that you do love us and you forgive us, but many here are still suffering the negative consequences. Help us as we help them, but Lord... Help them to listen. Help us to train our children, our young people. Don't go down these paths. Indeed, your forgiveness will be waiting for them no matter what they do. But the heartache, the pain, they could be avoided if they'll just choose to follow you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.